0: Well, good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102FM, which is a Common Sea Inspiration Spring production, being produced in our Common Sea studio here in Arda, and it's the 11th of October. It's the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the program again today, Shane Albrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we doing? Good. Thank you very much indeed. And also, from both myself and Shane, we'd like to welcome those listeners who are housebound, lonely struggling the listeners who continue to share with us how they enjoy the program both on the Sunday morning and Sunday evening and we thank you indeed for that and also for the prayers that you remember us in a program at this stage as people would be aware is broadcast at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning which of course includes Sunday mass from Abbeyfield and for that we thank Father Tony Mullins parish priest and the parishioners of Abbeyfield parish and 11 p.m. Sunday night and that's where this particular program is broadcast uh, each evening, as I said, at 11 p.m. Sunday evening. And a podcast of this program and others are available on our Come and See Inspirations podcast page. Uh, and that's available on Come and See Inspirations at com, or Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever you can get your podcasts. Please contact us if you, if you so wish uh, and by texting us on 087-6088-667. That's 87 087- 6088667 or email come and see inspirations at gmail.com Now just to advise this is this morning because we have a, 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 a long interview in part two of the programme there will only be two sections of the programme so we go immediately shortly into uh, science for the week and then we'll continue on with reading and uh, reflecting as best we can with the time we've got on the Sunday Gospel so the the interview we've got today is part one of a three part uh, series uh, of an interview with Father with Father John Roach from from Atlone, who we spoke to a number of weeks ago. Uh, actually, it was during the time Shane when there was. Um, a Storm going on around here, mm. and we were on the Skype. and I tell you the problems we had with the yeah, Skype yeah. and whatever, but anyway, look, we got through it. Thanks again to Father John for joining us, but that's it in part two. But in the meantime, Shane, you might share some saints for the week with us, please.
1: So, as John said, we're in the 28th week, uh, sorry, the 28th Sunday in ordinary time, so it's the 28th week in ordinary time heading ahead into us. For those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week four. Unfortunately, because of the way the dates are falling this year, uh, today the 11th would be the feast day of good Pope John the 23rd. Obviously, because it's a Sunday, the Sunday takes precedence. Tomorrow, Monday the 12th, is the Feast of Our Lady Apartida. It is a particularly Brazilian feast I'm bringing to your attention this week. It's uh, related to the uh, statue, a particular devotion to Our Lady in, as of the Immaculate Conception, a statue that was formed in 1717, rescued off the coast of Brazil. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because Pope Francis has a great devotion to Our Lady under this particular title. Then Tuesday is the 13th of October, and of course, for those that are in the know, the 13th of October, of course, is the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. 13th of October, of course, was the final of the apparitions in 1917, uh, when she appeared to the seers of Fatima, Lucia, Francesco and Jacinta. And of course, it is the days associated very much with the miracle of the sun, um, which was seen by thousands, and also the Pope of the time. So that's Our Lady of Fatima, and of course, her, her message very much associated with October, which of course is the month of the rosary. The 14th is Wednesday. It's the feast day of St. Callistus. He's one of the famous popes. An interesting guy. He was a slave and imprisoned for criminal offences. He was eventually released and then he became a deacon and eventually actually was elected. He was looking after the catacombs that bear his name. He was actually elected pope in 217 and he died at the hands of a mob in 222. So, if you've ever been to Rome, chances are you've been to one of the catacombs more often than chances are you've either been to the catacombs of St. Callistus or the catacombs of St. Sebastian. So, they're the two key ones in Rome. The 15th of October is the feast day, of course, of St. Teresa of Avila, little Teresa, as she's sometimes known. Oh, no, sorry, Big Therese, as I should say. She is the woman that led the reformation of the Carmelite order under reformed rule of Spanish, patron of, Saint, patron of Spain, even. And a great spiritual writer. And she was one of the first female doctors of the church. Friday the 16th is the feast day. There's a couple of them. There's St. Hedwig. For those of you who are halle potter fans. The real St. Hedwig. She's a wife of the Duke of Silesia. Died in 1243. Mother of seven children. And she devoted herself to charitable works. In addition, of course, those of you that have devotion to the Sacred Heart... The 16th of October is the feast day of St. Margaret Margaret Mary, who died in 1690. She was the visionary of the seer of the Sacred Heart, and she revived this devotion. And um, St. Gaul, then, is the third saint on that date. He's on the Irish calendar, associated very much with Bangor, uh, set out with Columbanus for the continent, and, of course, he is associated with the city of Bregenze on Lake Constance in, um, in Switzerland. And the city, and he, there's a famous monastery associated with him, the Monastery of St. Gallen, and he died in 630 AD. And then finally, on Saturday the 17th, we have the feast day of St. Ignatius of Antioch, bishop and martyr. He died a martyr in Rome in 107. He's famous for having written a number of letters to Christians in the East on his way to Rome to suffer martyrdom, and he's very much associated with writings about Christians. In, to unite in unity and through the Eucharist and around their local bishop. So that's what we have, John, in terms of Saints of the Week this week. Thank you for sharing
0: that with us, share. So now at this stage, we will pray our spiritual communal prayer, especially for those, maybe Sunday night, especially for those who couldn't receive Jesus at Mass today. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there, I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now, as I advise at the beginning of the programme, we'll go straight into our Gospel reading and reflection today. And before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane.
1: Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to... All it has to To say to us, we know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening, we ask this Father in union with Mary who used to recite the
0: Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken again from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a feast for his son's wedding. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited, but they would not come. Next he sent some, some more servants. Tell those who have been invited, he said, that I have my banquet all prepared, my oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Evening is ready. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they were not interested. One went off to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was furious. He dispatched his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burnt their town. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but as those who were invited proved to be unworthy, Go to the crossroads in the town, and invite everyone who you can find to the wedding. So these servants went, on, went, went out onto the roads, and collected together everyone they could find, bad and good alike. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And When the king came in to look at the guests, he noticed one man who was not wearing a wedding garment, and said to him, How did you get inside here, my friend, without a wedding garment? And the man was silent. And then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the dark, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. For many are called, and few are chosen. Have you thoughts, Shane? Yeah, I suppose
1: one of the things that strikes you about this particular um, parable that's presented to us, um, it's interesting, over the last couple of weeks we've had a number of these presented in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's very much part uh, of the of the as we approach towards the end of the liturgical year that these are put before us as reminders. Matthew's gospel this week talks to us very much of the generosity and the openness of God in terms of the feast and the invitation that's extended to us to attend. Of course, being that invitation to partake in um, God's kingdom, and also uh, the, the promise that's held out to us by Jesus. <clears throat> um, you know that we are invited to participate with him Uh, again it's very much about the rejection of Jesus by the leaders of his own people also it's addressed to the chief priests and elders um, and it's very much kind of the two invitations are sent out to the intended guests and then uh, of course they reject it and that's the challenge that's put up to us are how do we respond to the invitation that is very much given to us Um, I suppose the other thing is that we're also called upon to respond as quick as we can. And I think, I suppose, as we enter into this another series of three weeks lockdown um, or restrictions, rather, that we can have the opportunity to think about that and maybe even more so value the gifts that are given to us and how we need to cooperate together as a community uh, to maintain um, the openness that we need, particularly in this difficult time.
0: Shane, thank you so much indeed for that. I suppose the only thing that I'd echo there, just as a few seconds we've got left, is again to thank God for the gifts that we've been given and not to waste them. Thanks for those thoughts indeed, Shane. So join us again. We don't have any time for any music um, at, at the end of this section this morning. Join us again in, in part two, where we'll have the first of three uh, sections of an interview with Father John Roach, who shares his journey, his faith journey with us from Atlon through to Malawi and back again, almost 50 years as a priest. So John is again in part two. So welcome back again, listeners, to Come and See Inspirations. As I said, my name is John Keeley. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Father John Roach onto our Come and See Inspirations program to chat with us about his life as a priest. Father John spent many years working in a number of countries in Africa, a lot to tell us. So, Father John, thanks again for taking time out to share your story with us.
2: Uh, John, good morning, and to all your listeners, and uh, it's a joy for me to be able to share uh, with you and with them uh, something of my story. Um, maybe just a little bit first. I come from Athlone. Um, I was born and reared here, and I often tell people I'm a real Athlone man because my mother my mother was from Coosum, which is on the Leinster side. My father was from Clannown which is on uh, the Connacht side. And anybody who knows Athlone uh, knows the importance of the River Shannon passing through our town. Uh, but Athlone uh, is my home. I've always felt a deep affinity to Athlone. And even though I have spent 45, 46 years in other countries, uh, coming home has always been about predominantly Athlone. Uh, it's people and uh, my friends there. Uh, We were six children in our family, um, uh, five boys and one girl and uh, I was uh, the only boy that uh, went forward for the priesthood. I had two brothers who were uh, in the army, uh, another in the railway, another fitter Turner and uh, my good sister. Uh, two of us, my sister and my brother Jim, have uh, passed into the fullness of God. And um, we are, I would say, a very sort of united family. I was educated in at Lone by the Bauer sisters as uh, an infant. We used to call them then Madam. It was Madam Tekla and Madam Austin. Uh, but there were... They were really my memories of them would be very positive. They were very loving, very caring, and um, a great joy for us as uh, you know, as young children. Uh, then I went to the Maris College for my uh, primary education and my secondary education. And uh, again, I would have to say predominantly, these were lovely experiences. Uh, I suppose my memory goes back especially to Brother Patrick and Brother Brian. Brother Patrick was a man, I think, an educationalist before his time. Uh, He used to invite us to be imaginative and to dream dreams and to write poetry and to write song. Um, And that was sort of something at that time. And Brother Brian was the same. Um, then I went on into secondary school. I suppose when I was in the primary school, I did think a lot about vocation to the priesthood. Uh, I was in the choir and I was a mass server. But I have to say that when I went to secondary school, um, football became very much part of my life. And uh, I really enjoy that. Uh, um, and of course, relationships with some of the young ladies around the throne. Uh, but my, my final year in um, uh, Marist College, uh, a priest, Father Liam McSorley, came in from the society now that I am part of, St. Patrick's Missionary Society, Kiltegan, and he spoke about missionary priesthood. And I suppose there was two things that came across to me, his passion about it. He was, it, it seemed to me, this was real for this man, and he was very passionate in what he shared about it. And I suppose the second one was the need. He spoke about the need of your priests and uh, uh, preachers and uh, disciples in Africa, uh, places like Nigeria and places like uh, Kenya at that time. So afterwards, actually, I went to see him and I said, I thought this was dead. But something you said has just has stayed with me. So that started uh, the journey to uh, to.
0: Just going back a small little bit, Father Jan, Um maybe just a little bit about maybe the faith in your family, you know, and maybe the, the faith in the general community as it was then when you were growing up.
2: Uh, I would say, like, that the, the faith in the family was, uh, it was very much communitarian, but uh, it was a, a, a faith that was, I suppose, of prayer and of celebration. Um, my The rosary would have been very much of our of our daily life, and actually, in actual fact, sometimes we complained about it. We want to get out to to play football, but my father would say, "Well, let let us first kneel and uh, pray together to uh, the the Rosary." So that comes, you know, that 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 did strike you. Here's my father kneeling, my mother kneeling, and uh, together as a family we said the Rosary, uh, and then even our preparation for Sunday Mass or maybe the holy days of obligation, uh, by th- they were prepared for. And uh, my mother would have been very, very uh, strong on being punctual I and mean, being there for the beginning of mass. So um, that, I would say, we were a household of prayer. And we were a household of faith. Uh, you know, that whole area, Arcadia, Clombrusque, where I was going, we it was a sort of a community of faith. But it was a community of faith, not just of prayer, but also of hospitality, of care for one another and of looking out for each other, mm-hmm. I think we would always have felt, you know, that uh, we could visit each other's houses and uh, there was always that hospitality there. But there was also that sense that we stood up for one another. So faith was not just prayer, but it was also act it was also solidarity and it was also uh, protection. So it was a sort of a, a faith that I felt was lived and that was vibrant and that I was very much and very happy uh, to be part of, so it was very formative, uh, you know, in my journey of faith, and I think in my journey of, of, you know, of just of growth as a human person with good values, and
0: with good principles. Beautiful memory to have, and a beautiful gift to have. John, um I believe you have your, your interest in football uh, played out pretty well in the early seventies. I believe you played uh, in the atlone GA team in nineteen
2: seventy-one. Eh, uh, I did, John. Uh, I think my love, really, for for sports in general, was uh, nourished with the Baris College because um, we got to an under sixteen final and in, in Leinster, unfortunately, we were beaten. But uh, I, I, I really, I was quite good at football, so I, I, uh, I got very interested in it then when I went to the seminary, in those days, we had good numbers. So, actually, we had a very good seminary team. And I think it was during that time that uh, I was also noticed by... I, I played for the county for uh, for three years. But in uh, 1971, we won the county championship in Malangar. And um, that, I must say, for me, was a, a, a particular joy. And um, for me, it wasn't just the football itself, but uh, the friendships that... that, that, that uh, I have still with many of the the, the, the players of that time uh, for me, f- football was yes, the joy of engaging and the joy of trying to win and all the rest, but it was also and somehow uh, some of these uh, relationships have remained with me, even up to now, like when I'm back now in, in there's quite a number of the, that that era that I would be uh, friends to the family and to the children grandchildren, so yes. Was a, a particular uh, I suppose the sad part of that, John, is that uh, we were beaten in the Leinster final by Port Leash by one point. Um, to get to a Leinster final is always something which is very significant. And I'd have to say, John, uh, I hated being beaten by a point. <laughs> yeah. I, I never mind being beaten by three or four. I said, well, we were beaten by. A But uh, to be beat my point, I uh, always say it's in the balance, you know, it's in the balance. But we got there and uh, it's a great memory to have as well.
0: And Father John, so you mentioned early on there, when you come to around your leaving set um, and uh, you had a visit uh, to the school uh, from a religious uh, the idea again came into your mind about maybe following a vocation to priesthood. But if it wasn't for vo- if it wasn't for a vocation to the priesthood, w- would you have had a, any other um, uh, place in life you'd have liked to follow? Any other little trade or
2: well, uh, certainly an area that I've always liked actually it was the area, area of communication. And um, actually, when we went to actually went to Kiltigham, we had an army officer called Con Sullivan who uh, brought us through speech and communication for a a number of years. But even as in secondary school, I I liked communication. So that would have been certainly one area that I was thinking of. Um, Another area uh, would have been music in general. Um, I used to say I I thought I had a reasonably good voice, and if I could have got a little good band uh, around uh, I would have certainly looked at at that. I think there would be the predominant ones. Um, apart from that, there are other things that you'd looked at, but there would be something. And I often thought like maybe acting, communication. Uh, these would certainly be areas that I would have been interested in.
0: It came to the time when um, you had to decide as to which way to go. So please continue on with that story in regard to being introduced to Maybe following a vocation to priesthood.
2: Yeah, well, as I say, like this, this Father MacSorley came, and what really struck me about him was, as I said, and he spoke about the need. So we had a, at that time, they used to say a come and see weekend. So we went to Wicklow, um, and over the Easter weekend we were there. I suppose what struck me about was uh, that these students were were very normal, they were very welcoming. And um, I just sort of felt uh, over that weekend, I went on Friday back to home on Sunday, I said, yeah, I, I like this. I, I, I like the these people live and I like the way they relate to one another. So in actual fact, I, I came back from that more or less saying, yes, uh, uh, and you know, we had quite a bit of prayer during that weekend and they were sort of giving us tools about, I now I would say about discernment, you know, listening to the Lord in prayer and. I felt it was a certainly very strong tug, um, heart tug for me at that time saying I will not be happy unless I give this a try. I will, I will find joy in my life unless I give this a try. And about a month or, month after um, returning, I, I signed up the form and said uh, I'm ready to join in September. And that's that's what I was, 65, September 65. I started what they call a spiritual year in Kiltigen. Uh We were 32 at that time, which was numbers were up um, from all parts of the country. And uh, it was, uh, I must say, for me, a very special year because I, I just felt that um, I, I got to know the Lord in a different way. And during that, we did a 30 days retreat um, and we were in sort of introduced to meditation. And I think Jesus there became for me real became a friend and became a companion. And uh, that year I would put as a very pivotal year of my own sort of vocational story. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, as I say, yes, we family of faith, but uh, that experience of, of uh, Jesus being near me, Jesus being with me, maybe calling me to this way of life, um, stuck with me and, uh, I was very happy with that year, and I, I I continued on from there.
0: Experience to have met Jesus in that way for that particular year, especially starting off in in a new journey in your life. Tell me, Father John, how did your family and friends react when you told them, listen, I think of it going this
2: Um I, I, have, I have to say, uh, I, my mother was a very wise woman, um, I had two uncles who were in the Holy Ghost, and when I finished primary school, they had heard that I was interested in priesthood, which I was at that time, and wanted me to come to Black Rock. And of course, Black Rock was a a very significant, if not famous, college at that time. And I was absolutely convinced I was. You know, they said no problem, we'll get you a place there. And I went home, and I told my mother, um, and she said, "No, you're not going." She said, "You will stay here in the house with us." until you complete your secondary school if you want to go then you go with my blessing so when i told her um that i was i had i had decided i wanted to go to Kilt-Egan, uh, both her and my father gave me their blessing they were they were they felt it was a mature decision and that i had given a time even though i was only 17 years old so uh, maturity is uh, I don't think it comes to 17 years either, but they honoured they honoured my decision. Yeah. Um, I think fellows, some of the fellows in my school would have would have been lot of proud that I was sort of going to the pre. I was, I, I guess, yes, I was the only one in our class in in Maris College who went. Others felt this was, yeah, this was ridiculous. And uh, some of my lady friends said, "Oh, this is a waste of your life." Uh, and uh, I I said well you know uh, that's my decision at the moment and uh, we'll see how it evolves in the coming years so it was that sort of combination some um, but my family I think would have been very very supportive of it certainly my parents because they felt I had it had matured in me in different ways um, and people at home yes generally they were sort of there were they were happy with it. Uh, some questioned it as, you know, at, at that time, uh, whether that was a life that would allow me to blossom and to mature well in my life. Um, but I think the majority would have been happy and supportive. And certainly in my journey in the seminary, I found people at home and in a throne uh, very supportive and uh, very affirming.
0: During, during that time, Father John, were you allowed to keep in contact with home during that first year away?
2: No, John. We had uh, uh, for the first three months uh, we had we had no contact at all with home. Um, but uh, coming into the new year, it was that sort. Things were starting to change in seminary life. Uh, They're becoming more open up to that. It was very closed. You were sort of, you were taken out of the world, and you were placed in this uh, sort of rarefied atmosphere, if you wanted to put it, for a year. But um, the eldest of us, Tony, was married in um, February '66, and um, I got out for. I was allowed out for that, which was sort of a break in tradition. But uh, so I was. I was sort of a part of a new thinking about uh, seminary training and when it was becoming more open and I would have found that later on like in in uh, philosophy and in theology um there was a lot of movement in and out uh, but for that first year uh, that was the one uh, the the one occasion we 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 got out and I was delighted to be with my no, the elder. he was the first of us to get married so it was a lovely family occasion and John was there and I was very happy to be there.
0: And Father John, what was daily life? What was a typical day like in that first year?
2: Um we we rose quite early. Uh like we were introduced to I though I said sort I I came from a sort of a faith house things like meditation uh uh, we didn't know much about, so we were introduced to that fairly early so the the early morning would have would have been um uh, prayer uh private prayer community prayer ending up with uh with mass um and that would have started maybe around six o'clock so it would have been six to seven thirty around that we'd have that then we'd have breakfast then we had classes in the morning um they could have been uh, scripture on on uh, introduction to to the Bible, introduction to the New Testament, uh, some areas around morality, uh, constitutions of our own society that I would say I want to be part of, um, and uh, you know, there know t- topical sort of issues um, as well that were dis- that were discussed. So most of that morning would have been, um, let's say, in a, a fairly sort of Relaxed class atmosphere. Uh, then in the afternoon, we'd we'd have midday prayer and lunch. The afternoon we generally had it was either manual work or sports. We were certainly manual work. Kiltegan has beautiful grounds, so we were expected not only expected, but there was a certain, there was a pressure. I think the, those in charge saw manual work as being a formative, a formative sort of exercise. Not only in using, you know, your body and things like that, but in people coming together, working together, and I thought that is important for, you know, for the future as well. Because um, you know the priest is not a, an island. We work together as teams wherever we are, so the, they encouraged that. And of course, football then was uh, well sports in general. Whether it was tennis, some some men who didn't like to football played croquet, but uh, at least at least for two um, two evenings a week we would have maybe it was three. Two, we'd have some sort of sporting activity. Uh, so uh, then in the evening we would have. Evening prayer, meal, and we generally had time for some sort of study in the evening. Whether that was what to come up during the day, um, and we generally went to bed quite early because there was no telly at that stage. That w- that came in uh, later on, and we had no radios. Actually, we weren't supposed to have radios. Though I have to say, John, some of us had little radios hidden under the pa- under under the the, the pillow. But uh, it was sort of still quite a bit of cut off from from the world. But I think those the men who were sort of guiding us were made sure too that uh, we were in touch with what was happening.
0: And so this for, after this first year, Father, was this the time when somebody made a decision? Yeah, okay. Got some idea about what this is all about, and now I'm going to go further. that the idea. Uh,
2: Yes, ab- uh, for for all of us, actually, at the end of that first year, we had um, <clears throat> we met with with those who were guiding us and accompanying us, and uh, we were invited ourselves, like to really look at what has this year been like for you. What would you think are the positives and the negatives in regard to you, and do you think that you know, that you want to continue this? So it was ours first, you know, for. If you want to put personal sort of discernment, personal sort of looking at, do I really want this? And then they would give to the feedback to us. So I felt at the end of the year, um, it was a good year for me. I enjoyed it. Um, As I said, I felt that Jesus became somehow real for me and I wanted to continue. And uh, that was supported by. The, the views of the two men who were uh, in charge of, predominantly in charge of accompanying us, they said, Yes, I, we think you have what it takes uh, to be a priest and to be a missionary priest. So that sort of combination, my own listening to the spirit and the spirit coming from those who were accompanying me, convinced me that, yes, I wanted to continue.
0: And some might think, well, at, at that young age, you know, it might be a little bit. Um... I don't know should I use the word immature, but thinking about you know this is a major decision am i am I capable and mature enough to make this this decision
2: you know, I think at that stage maybe i I was maybe just eighteen going on nineteen mm-hmm. and yeah i mean it's you could say in one sense it is you, know, but I was also aware that look, this is not going to be the final decision, yeah, okay. like there would be yeah. other decisions like I'm going down now to to study philosophy. Um, out of our 32, I think at that time there was only two, so. There was a sort of a community, sort of solidarity in, in a, a decision, which was challenged very much when we got into philosophy, because a lot of uh, my brothers in that a lot started leaving in 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 philosophy. Um, so while it you could say it was an immature decision, well, it, certainly uh, it wasn't the fullness of maturity. Uh, But I did know that it was still a journey ahead. It was still five, six years ahead of me. So I look at that again and um, I was aware that people would have said, you know, philosophy brings up a a lot of sort of inner thinking about life and things like that. So um, I think, yeah, you have to make a decision anyway. But I was happy enough to make it and say, well, uh, this is not the final final decision.
0: But what I did hear you say, um, Father, early on there, and I think you said it twice so far, that Jesus became real for me, and I think that must have been a great source of encouragement for you as well, because you wanted to keep on following on.
2: Yeah, I would say, John, like that for me, yeah, sorry, uh, uh, like though I was a person and brought up in a family of faith, um, ritual was important and the prayers were important, but uh, I, I think we we sort of missed something about the centrality of the person of Christ. And, and uh, you know, somehow in that first year in prayer, as I said to you, we had that 30 days retreat, which was, uh, it's based on Saint Ignite. And I mean, there were moments in that retreat when I, I would have to say uh, I experienced the love of Christ, the presence of Christ, and uh like somehow as i say he became flesh and blood that that, that it wasn't just a pine say so he was a a man who journeyed in life uh, he was he had a vision he had a dream and he lived it out uh, and he had courage so i i felt at that time that jesus was becoming that sort of at least for me i felt yes i can relate to this man and i can relate to his vision Uh, I knew that I would have to be refined a lot during my future life. But at that time, it wasn't just about ritual. It wasn't just about going to Mass, but it was also about being in relationship. And relationship for me was important.
0: So this time in seminary, how many years did you say, Father, after this this initial year, did you spend in seminary? Well,
2: altogether we did seven years.
0: Seven years in total. Um, can you remember any particular moment during that time when you say, yeah, this is it now, I definitely want to follow this way of life?
2: I, I, I would say, John, firstly, there was two very, I think, very challenging things. Um, our first year of philosophy in Cork, um, we, did, we did very well with regard to you know, people staying, people leaving. But our second year, I think, we lost, I think seven of our classmates, seven or eight, left at the seminary. And they sort of shared with us, you know, why they were leaving. So, like, I I felt very challenged. I felt very challenged to look at my own choice. And this was really, uh, you know, what I wanted. Um, And I thought I came back again and again to that saying, yeah, at a deeper level, at, at the heart level, this is what I want anyway for now and I'll see And I think that that was one of the sort of, I'd say, pivotal moments. Another one came in in, um, Second Theology, which meant I was more or less uh, about two years from ordination. And uh, at that time, I was playing football. Nearly every weekend, I was out. We had a very good college team. Uh, Westmead were doing quite well at that time. And the club was doing well. So nearly every Sunday, I was out. I was... In Fermanagh, I was in Mullingar, I was in Carlo, wherever it was. And I, I just found half the time on Monday morning I was either sleeping at prayer or I was sleeping at lectures. And I started saying, No, this isn't for me. So I went actually to see one of our priests uh, who was guiding us. And I said, uh, I'm whatever, it is, I'm six years in the seminary, but I said, I really think maybe now this isn't for me. Uh, I think the Lord sort of said it's not. And he said something to me, he said, John, he said, I'm not sure that this is the right decision, but could I ask you to do one thing? He said, will you stop going out, stop playing so much football for a month? And if you come back and say to me then that you want to leave, I will honor it. But he says, I I said, I think there are other factors. So I I said, OK, I will. And I didn't find it easy, John, to stop playing football for Mm a for a month, because uh, if you're playing with the county and you're playing with your club, people know you. And there's a certain amount of you know pride and all of that. But I did, I did that. I just sort of said, I won't. I'll sort of give this my attention now for for the next month. And during that time, it became very clear to me again that no, this is where I want, and this is where I want to be, and this is what I want to do with my life. So after the month, I went back. Um, you're right, and thank you for your wisdom in guiding me to that.
0: And so, two years after that, it came around the time for you to be ordained a priest. When was that, Father?
2: I was I was ordained uh, nineteen seventy two on the fourth of June in Kilimort, which is a little uh, parish church uh, near uh, Kiltegan. Uh, at that time, we were just we we could only invite, let's like, say, fifty members of the family. Um, but I, by uh, Sort of my abiding memory of it would be i i just felt overawed by by the whole experience um it was beautiful to have the family around but um there's something about that movement for me movement from being i was a deacon at that time mm-hmm. you
3: know
2: I, I suppose blessing my mother blessing my family uh blessing my friends was for me a profound moment and um that, that has always stayed with me you know uh, to be able to be somehow a channel of blessing a channel of fullness and a ch- channel of joy for others and like to me it was this is what Jesus was about in his life so uh, there was a sort of sense of being humbled by and by the ministry and humbled by the calling to be uh, a source of blessing and of joy and, and of healing for others so um we went home that evening and then the following day I had my first mass in a throne. And I, I do remember something that's funny. Uh, I remember my homily sort of saying, you know, that, uh, I, I, I am, I am, and, I'm um, the fruit of your presence and of your love and of your accompaniment. I was very conscious. Somehow I was an expression of, of, uh, of their faith mm-hmm. and of their commitment to God, and to the church and to the mission. And, um, it uh, it was just it was a uh, it was a beautiful occasion and uh, it's funny to think about your family and friends but uh, uh, when some of the footballers came up after you know my, looking for my blessing and some of them were very hard they were really tough footballers you know and they kneeling down in front of me and sort of then bowing their heads and, uh, that touched me very deeply and I suppose in one way it has never never left me a uh, sort of a uh, um, that I I think it's a sort of a, that humility and somehow humility in a good sense that I was but he's a the football with and we hit each other on the football field mm-hmm. and yet here we were you know, being blessing to one another and uh, so it was a an abundantly joyful occasion.
0: And I I must say I was I was just touched there by that by that expression you use. You were being used as a channel. And so, there, therefore, those those football friends of yours who were coming up for a blessing, you would have been a channel of the uh, of a blessing from God to them. Beautiful, beautiful way to expect it.
2: Yeah, I I would have been very conscious of that. And I, you know, I think throughout my missionary life, uh, that's a sort of an image that has has remained with me. We are to be channels of, as as priests and as Christians, to be channels of love and channels of blessing and. Your know, channels of hope for others, and I, I, I think I have tried to live my missionary life and my my priestly life as well.
0: Beautiful. So now you're ordained. You're ordained a priest. Time to get some work done. What was your first assignment? Mm-hmm. What was your your first assignment, Father John, and where were you? Uh,
2: I'd have to tell you, John. It was after Vatican II, so we were talking about, you know, that to be dialogue with regard to our appointments. Um, so I went down to uh, uh, the, the day and he asked me, where would you like to go to? And I said, I'd love to go to Brazil, because at that time, Brazil was uh, I was very much into uh, human rights. The whole area of justice had been an integral part of ministry. It seemed to me to be a very, very vibrant place. Uh, so I said, uh, I'd love to go to Brazil. And he said, hmm. What about Malawi? And uh, we had we had, we'd only been about two years in Malawi, uh, which is in Central Africa. And we didn't no. know that much about it, to be honest. So I said, well, I want to just hold on to this for a yeah, while. Yeah, OK. But I said, I would really would love to go to Brazil. And then he said, we would like you to go to Malawi. So I said, uh, I said at that stage, I said, oh, I go to Malawi. I'm happy to go to Malawi. Um, And and as I say, I didn't know very much about Malawi. So um, I started reading a bit about Malawi. It was formerly in Nyasaland. Um, And I was hoping to get out there, maybe in this was the middle of June, seventy-two. I was hoping to get out there. But my permit for for Malawi was delayed. And I eventually got there in October uh,
0: 1972. And so, Father John... um when you arrived in Malawi, was it as the as the book had said that you've been reading about, or was it something different? Well,
2: I, I'd have to say, John. Like, firstly, I was very keen to get out. I sort of felt I've I've spent all I'm t- nearly I'm twenty five. I spent all my life studying and with books and all. I said, really, I, I want to get out. Mm. I just I want to get I want to get to get stuck in. Yeah. Uh, so I was very happy to go to to. to Malawi. Uh, I went through Kenya on the way, at that time there was no direct flight so we spent uh, four of my classmates were going to Kenya so I spent a week or two with them and I, I found Kenya just an utterly stunning, the beauty of Kenya and the jacaranda trees. I said wow if this is Africa uh, I'm I'm in a very beautiful place. Uh, then after about a week there I went down to Malawi. It's, the first thing that struck me was the heat. I arrived about 10 o'clock at night and I always put it down. I felt as if I was walking into a wall of heat. Um, so I spent the night, the first night, in a place called Blantyre, which was the old capital. And then the following day, I went up on a small six-seater to Mzuzu, which is in the north of of, of the country. And um, when I arrived at this small airport there, the, like the dust was flying, and uh, I said, "Wow, this this the, the, this place isn't uh, certainly isn't isn't urban." I uh, was just delighted to be there, and I was met then by the Vicar General of the Diocese of Mzuzo, who actually, in fact, was a missionary of Africa, a white father, uh, from Cork, originally from Cork, and uh, he brought me over to the bishop's house, and I met the bishop there, who was a French-Canadian, Jean-Louis Jobidon. Um and he was so welcoming and he was getting me tea and uh, uh, making sure my room uh, there was something about the simplicity of the man that I've never lost you know uh, he was my bishop for nearly 20 years but uh, as a bishop he was just so simple so welcoming and um, just a lovely human being and uh, I sort of felt well you know, the bishop is here and then the, in the fo- days afterwards, I started just visiting around and there were a group of MMMs from, from Ireland who were running the hospital. So it was lovely to have that connection with them. You know, um, you could go for your tea and scones in the afternoon and you could talk a, talk a little bit about Irish and about Ireland. And it sort of gave you a bit of sort of sense. Well, you know, it's not totally different. I have friends here. I have people here. Um So that was was very nice. But then the bishop called me and he gave me two books. He said, now you have to get the language. And uh, I said to him, oh, I really don't want books anymore. But uh, he said, uh, you know, we have to get the language and language is essential here. And he said, for the next four months, you'll be learning language and orientation to culture and to the life of Malawi. And um, John, to be honest, wisdom of that, was something about always treasure. Uh, Chitumbuka was the language of of the north of Malawi. And having that time, there was a priest. Uh, He's a Belgian priest who was guiding us. Uh, gave his classes every day. What we did was basically about six weeks. We attended classes. Then we were sent out to a village for about a month, uh, where we lived with the with the villagers and. Uh, you know, we really had, we were sort of in the way we were immersed. In, and then we came back for about another month uh, into a sort of a, let's say, a semi-academic sort of situation. But by the end of three months, I had a good grasp of this language. And I was, um, you know, I, I was very pleased. I really was very, uh, I, I I studied f- French and um, in, in secondary school, and I didn't think I was particularly gifted with languages. But uh, I got Chitambuca very well. And over the years, people would have said that I spoke it very well. So I would have that time of orientation. That is the focus. I had no pastoral commitments. This was your commitment to get the language, to get to know the culture Mm -hmm. and to get to know the sort of the, the mind and the heart behind the language and what the language expresses. And the language of, of uh, the culture of Malawi was very different in some ways to the culture of Ireland. So I had to open myself to that and to really uh, try to come to know it and to respect it because I think as a missionary priest, we have to respect the culture and the language of the people that we are sent to.
0: Uh, and so, Father, um, this took about three or four months, so about four months,
2: yeah, it was, certainly it was four months, you know, that uh, we had that. Uh, then the bishop, being a very wise man, he said, uh, you take a little break. So he gave us a, a little, an old beetle. There was two of us, actually. um our Father Tom since died, God rest him. Uh, so he gave us a beetle. He said, Go around and see a bit of Malawi because we hadn't seen anything of Malawi up to that. But that was, in actual fact, part of our orientation because also um, the third largest lake in, in Africa. And um, it's, it's, it's just it's a beautiful setting. And uh, we spent a few days at the lake and swimming there in the, the lukewarm waters of Lake Malawi. And, um, you know, Malawi has a lot of beauty. Um, from the south of Malawi it's about 200 feet below sea level the very far far point of Malawi in the north is about 8,500 feet above sea so you have all the variety of fauna and of, of scenery there so we had two weeks um, and we, we we enjoyed it very much and then uh, I got my appointment uh, which was to the biggest parish in the diocese uh, Holy Cross Parish in Kamenia and it was such that maybe we would have had around Thirty thousand Catholics, and a lot who would have been, um, you know, catechumen, to be received into the church. There was three of us. Three of us who were, um, there were two Dutchmen, m- members of the Missionaries of Africa, uh, and myself. So I was also introduced very quickly to a sort of a an international ministry. I wasn't for my first seven years in Malawi. I didn't work with any Irish priest. I worked with continental priests predominantly. Uh, well, sort of kind of European priest predominantly of the society, the White Fathers. And I would always look on as being a very important time because uh, uh, it it's helped me to sort of be open to, to, to new models of church, new ways of being and uh, to look at ministry in a broader sort of sense. Um, so I was very happy. It was a very challenging place. Uh, we covered about 80 miles uh, the three of us covered about 80 miles from the center from Enkemenia parish itself and every weekend we went out to these stations and, um we we anointed the sick we brought uh, communion to the sick uh of course we had mass with the people we had the catechumens to prepare uh but i tell you you were definitely um you were you were challenged it was a very uh A very full time. And of course, then you were involved as well with um, sort of what you might put it as development work. uh, Building churches, getting uh, medical centers, at least some dispensaries. And we were we were. Generally involved in, in in a lot of that, and sometimes you could end up too. John has just been a, a taxi driver or driving people to the hospital because there, there was no vehicles at all at that stage. Uh, the priest, I did my first few years in a motorbike, uh, which in a way like uh, gave you great freedom. You could go through the bush roads and everything, and uh, uh, you didn't have to worry about you know people looking for lifts and things like that. after about three years, I got a, I got a pick up. 'cause we needed one. So at times you were you were an ambulance driver, at times you were a hearse driver. But it didn't matter. That was that was all part of the life of the people and therefore it was part of my life. And um I was happy when, when we could provide that service as well. So it was a very challenging time, even physically, like I was very young, um 26, 27 at that time. But I tell you, when you're covering that sort of distance and you had that. But I think what the outstanding thing for me, John, about all of that would be the lay involvement. Uh, You know, we would not have. We were only three priests and uh, we would not have been able to. And we shouldn't have even done it, but certainly we would not have been able to uh, be present Uh, and do all the things we would want to have done without the great involvement of the laity. It was one of the things that struck me very much from the very beginning when I went out. I was sort of saying, I was thinking, gosh, we have so many wonderful faith people in Ireland, and yet I don't see them very much involved in the church so we, like, we had catechists, we had lay leaders, we were people who were forming children for First Holy Communion, who were accompanying young men and women who were preparing for marriage. We had funeral ministries. The, the whole area there was, was covered. And in actual fact, my first diocese, the number one priority for the first the five years that I was there was lay leadership training. And the bishop and his council and that, they put great emphasis on that. And I'm talking about 1970, this was 1972, 1973. And I I wrote a letter to my mother actually once saying to her, you know, I thought I was coming from a first world church to a third world church. And I said, I'm not sure that that's right. Somehow the the church that I find here is, I think, much clearer, much nearer to the the church of acts 2 uh, church as community and the church that may be vatican 2 put before us uh, and that we are together the church and that like i as a priest i have a ministry but you as a, uh, a baptized member of this church you have your ministry and it's it's a much your community your church as it is mine and i found that throughout my time in malawi and generally in africa um, the lay involvement has been wonderful um, and has I think it's just enhanced the church so much
0: So that was part one of a three part interview with Father John Roach a Katigin priest from Atlone telling us of his faith journey to priesthood. Next week Father John continues his story of his work in Malawi including challenging the treatment of Catholics there so To finish the programme today Father John's suggestion for a piece of music was Be still to know that I'm God So please join us again next week In the meantime, God bless now And stay safe. Bye